Good morning, everybody. Hi. Let me make sure we're all... Hey, hey, there we are. Happy Sunday morning to you, or afternoon, depending on your time zone today. We're doing this a little earlier than usual, uh, just so I can... uh, have other things happening today that need to happen. So I hope that this timing works out for people. I see uh, some of the usual suspects in the comments here. Hey, critics. Hey, everybody. So happy you're there. Now, what is is this now? We have an echo? Uh, Echo? No, I don't think so. No? Okay. All right, well, there we go. <laughs> okay, good. No echo. Excellent. Um, yes, Exxion, uh, Benson did have his morning walk uh, this today, actually. That's funny that you asked. Yes, yes, yes. Got a little haircut. Um, <laughs> happy to be here with you guys. I love live streaming. I really need to, what I need to learn how to do when I'm doing live streaming, and I'll just drink a little Kool-Aid here is um, I really need to learn how to slow down a little bit. I get really, I, I've, I've commented on this a few times now. I need to, uh, need to get better at this. Uh, yes, good morning, home fries. Oh, yes, let's switch over to our comment screen here so we can see. Yep, there we go. Excellent. So I have the ability to throw up some questions if you all... Uh, like this one here, yes, um, yes, we did do that. So good, so I can uh, get that going. Ah, two tabs. There we go. That makes sense. Okay. Yes, yes. I was very happy that Melissa was with us on Friday. Um, good. I'm really glad you guys are digging the the work I've been doing with Mitch Brisker as well. It's he's an interesting interview to do because he 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 does kind of go all over the place, and uh, but he's got so much information and experience from his time up there, and some of the things he has said have have been really revelatory to me. I mean, you know, some other people don't seem to be um, as taken with some of what he has to say or seem to you know push back on it or whatever but I I just incorporate all of it into the bigger picture and try to connect dots that hopefully connect uh, in trying to help understand and take this stuff apart for people you know I think I think there are I think there are a couple ways you can approach this information and I think one of them is to um you know, sort of just munch on it, like celebrity media kind of stuff. Just, oh my God, can you believe what they are doing? It's outrageous. It's incredible. And it is outrageous and it is incredible. Um, But then I think another aspect of looking at this stuff is how can we learn from it? What can we take away from this so that our lives or our uh, encounters with other people can be better, can be less harsh, less cruel, less mean, less, or or we're more aware of or more in tune with how predators work, how, how people like Miscavige or people like Scientologists or cult members will try to ingratiate themselves to you or will try to love bomb you or what do we call that, manipulative kindness? How does that work, right? How can you recognize it when it's happening? I mean, that to me, these are the valuable lessons out of the out of the knowledge of of Scientology. Otherwise, I think we're just sort of watching a train wreck, and you know, that's that's kind of interesting, I suppose. Um, okay, so 
Uh, oh, really? Uh, that's interesting. Educon says here, I met your fave cult apologist yesterday, not Introvigne, so not Massimo. Uh, well, Massimo would be my quote-unquote favorite cult apologist. He's certainly one of the most prolific. Um, but are you talking about Eileen Parker? Or who are you referring to, uh, Educon? Let me know uh, in the comments here who you're, who you're referring to. Um, okay, some questions coming in now, which is excellent. Yes, exactly, Leslie. I think Mitch is just finding his way. I think that's what we all have to run into. And I think it's been a little while, or I think some people don't really understand what it is to just come out of a cult and only be out for a few years and just get your voice and start finding it and, and talking and speaking out. And some of the things you're going to say are probably not going to be uh, things you will commit to for the rest of your life. You'll probably change your mind about some of it as you go. Anyway, kind of funny stuff. Um, well, let's go ahead and get start getting to some of the questions that are coming in. Um, here's Anthony Spurgeon asking, and oh, I'm probably going to have to redo how I'm uh, throwing these questions up on the screen here, huh? Because these um, are running across one another. You can see the questions, but you also see the comments in the background there, and it's kind of running into one another. I'll have to figure out some color scheme or something to rework that so that, that so that these questions are a little more clear on the screen. Sorry about that. Uh, but here, let's go ahead and take it up. Uh, Anthony asks, say, Chris, what happens if during an auditing session someone remembers being Julius Caesar and recalls being stabbed, and then the auditor has someone else also remember that? Okay, let me tell you exactly how this works. So it, what would happen is nothing special. The auditing session would run through its regular course. The auditors are trained to, and it's not, and it would never be part of a standard auditing session, for an auditor to contradict a pre-clear's memories, uh, especially past life memories. There's no way, there's no scenario where a Scientology auditor um, is... Okay, fair enough. Um, well, we'll just see what I can do. Um, there is no scenario where a auditor is going to tell a preclear, hey, wait a minute, that couldn't have happened because yesterday I was auditing Sally Sue and she said she was Julius Caesar and got stabbed. So clearly you can't have been because maybe Sally Sue was the one who was making things up or... More likely in terms of how Scientologists think about this stuff is that you could recall being Julius Caesar, but really maybe, maybe the reality is that you're the dude who stabbed Julius Caesar, but you have convinced yourself that you are in fact the victim rather than the perpetrator in your past life. And so you're remembering it from the wrong, what they would say in Scientology would be the wrong valence. You're out of valence. You're in the, you, you were the murderer, but you, you can't accept responsibility for that. It's too big of an over. You did too much, right? And you can't deal with that. And so in your own memories, you have rewritten them so that you are the victim, Caesar, of, you know, when in fact you were the perpetrator. 
This is something Hubbard says happens. And so an auditor auditing Sally on Tuesday, and she's Julius Caesar, and then auditing, you know, John Jones on Wednesday, and he's Caesar, the auditor is just going to go, oh, well, you know, they're either making it up, or they are out of valence, or... Um, or they really were Julius Caesar, or they're remembering another life, not even here on earth, that is so parallel to ancient Rome and being stabbed in a Senate chamber by your compatriots, right, that you are confusing it for Julius Caesar when in fact it's a different episode entirely, and um, and your timing, your time markers in your memory are just off, Right, and it could be that could be an explanation for it. In other words, what I'm what I'm really trying to say here is there are numerous ways to explain away such contradictions or such impossibilities as two people being the same person in history that Scientologists are perfectly comfortable with past life memories not necessarily having to be a hundred percent accurate. The entire point of auditing past lives is not to uh, come up with a factual chronology of our past. It is to relieve trauma, to relieve the charge that the person has that they're carrying around with them satanically, right? You're carrying around all of this, this mass of energy that is your collected trauma from your past lives. So, um, so that's how they would sort of... As, and, and that's how an auditor in that situation would explain away that sort of thing. They would never put it on the preclear and tell the preclear, uh, you know, no, 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 that just can't be. Okay, so that's how that would, that's how that would work. All right, let's pop that down, and uh, let's see what else we have here. Okay, um, pink fox. Let's see, is this really going to work or do, am I going to have to rework this? I'm probably going to, I'm going to keep throwing the questions up just for fun. But, um, but yeah, I can see that we definitely have a, a font issue here. So I will, um, oh, I wonder, I wonder, well, hmm. <clears throat> excuse me. I don't think I'll be able to sort that out today. Let me see. There it is. I just sorted it out. Okay, good. Now we can see the qu the full question a lot better. It was a it was a layering problem. All right. Do you think? Uh, let me throw that up again. Do you think we'll ever see uh, SCI get? I guess you're meaning Scientology or Church of Scientology. Um, get their five hundred one c three status revoked in the next couple of years. Okay. Um, no, I don't. I don't see that happening anytime soon. Um, now, I could be completely wrong, and I would be more than happy to be proven wrong in this. The reason I say no is because I have not seen with my own two eyes any evidence that the IRS cares one bit about Scientology or its practices. So we have no evidence whatsoever that there is anybody on the job at the IRS who wants to take away or wants to even investigate Scientology for criminal activity or for violations of public policy or violations of their 501c3 status. No evidence, any, none, zero, zilch. So 
the the effort to take away a church's tax exemption is preceded, you know, is started with an investigation. They have to go in there and find out what's up. This is what happened back in the 60s with uh, with Scientology when they uh, accused L. Ron Hubbard of inurement, of, of uh, profiting personally off of all the money coming in from to Scientology. Um, you know, could they make that case for David Miscavige now? Probably be a tough case to make, actually, uh, because he's a pretty savvy guy, and he runs his finances, and he runs the finances of the church on a very tight purse strings. And uh, I think his bonus systems and the way he brings in money and uses money in the church is all explained away very, very carefully by tax attorneys. Uh, that's what he hires Monique Yingling and those people for, so that he's got all the air cover he needs. And having already experienced in Scientology's past the, 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 you know, that they had their tax exemption taken away, I am 100% positive that at the very top of David Miscavige's priority list would be handling anything and everything that comes up dealing with tax exemption. Yeah, I don't think this is something he messes around with. And, um, and, and we've talked about and, and it's been discussed that David Miscavige is not a stupid person. And he hires the very, very best tax attorneys. I mean, the, the, the people he's got on his payroll, as far as that side of the equation goes, are very, very knowledgeable people. So it would be a big surprise. I'm not saying it's impossible to take away their tax exemption at all. I'd love to see that happen. I'm not saying that it can't be done. I'm saying that I don't see any evidence that it is being done, and I don't see any political will or capital being driven in that direction. So, you know, so that's kind of how that would work as far as I can tell, and I don't see, um, you know, that, uh, that that's going to be dealt with. I think, um, I think it would take a great deal more pressure than what is currently being exerted against the government for us to see a result like that. You know, we're a pretty small community of people, the ex-Scientology world. And the people who get outraged enough about Scientology to want to go do something about it are very few. You see how many civil cases there are. It's a handful. How many criminal cases? None at this point, you know. And, and are they going to pull finger and get going on that? I hope so. But, you know, these things go so damn slow. So, uh, anyway, so I don't know. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not, I'm not holding my breath. Let's put it that way. I would be incredibly supportive of any effort. Uh, and I have been over the years, right? You've seen me uh, talk about even sending those postcards to our elected representatives or, um, you know, writing campaigns or, or, or um, what do they call those things? The uh, petitions, right, to get Scientology's tax exemption revoked. I mean, I don't know if we've even gotten the, the 10,000 signatures for that. I, I'm, I'm not remembering right now if that was pulled off or not. Um, so, you know, it would be nice. It would be really, really awesome if that would happen. But I don't see it uh, particularly um, being a reality anytime soon. Okay. Let us move on here. Um <laughs> I see, Educon. Okay, well, thank you. Um, well, I'm glad she was pleasant enough. Uh, when I spoke with her, uh, Eileen Barker, she was quite pleasant as well. 
She's a very pleasant woman. Uh, but I definitely highly, highly disagree with her on some things. Um, all right. Ah, here's an interesting question. Uh, from Yonga Matador, how long will it take for Cardone, Church of Scientology hype man, to be shunted out of the public eye? Challengers typically don't do well in autocratic systems. Well, are, are, do you see Grant Cardone as a challenger to David Miscavige or Tom Cruise or something? Because I don't think he thinks that. Um, I don't think Cardone is a challenger. I think he's a... I think he's a, a a con man. I think he's an opportunist. That might be the best word I, I could think of for Grant Cardone is I think he's an opportunist. Um, but I think he's a true believer. And as a true believer, see, if Miscavige and Cruz and Cardone are all true believers, then that means that they are in a headspace where they are teammates, where they are people who are all on the same side. And so... Cardone wants power and money and influence, and he probably wants Tom Cruise-level power and money and influence. And he probably thinks he could get there eventually with what he's doing. But I think he thinks in terms of, of sharing the stage with Cruise, not usurping Cruise's power or influence. And I think the same thing for... I think that's how Cruise and Cardone both think about David Miscavige. I think Miscavige probably hoards all the power. Miscavige is not into sharing. Um, you know, and if he thinks that Cardone or Cruz are challenges to him, he'll, he'll put them down. Without a second thought, he would do that. But I don't think Cruz, I don't think Miscavige thinks about those guys that way. I think he thinks of them as key supporters, as loyal henchmen. There we go, as like loyal henchmen. At people who will do his bidding and will, uh, you know, kiss the ring. Uh, and bring in lots and lots of money and people and influence for Scientology. And Gardone and Cruz want to do that. They, I don't think either one of them want Miscavige's job. I think they want their jobs. I think they like what they're doing. And, uh, and I don't think either one of them would, would want to join the Sea Org or restrict their lives in such, in such a fashion. You know, um, So I think they like cozying up to the power of Miscavige and and uh, and you know rubbing elbows with the big boys running in the tall grass with the you know with the big with the big uh, powers but um, but I think that's kind of how they think of it is like some kind of old boys club or something where they're all sort of on the same side so as far as how long will it take for him to be shunted out of the public eye well, if he turns on Miscavige, if, if Grant Cardone were to wake up one day to realize, you know, what he's part of and start speaking out against it or pushing back against it or started like, ooh, no, maybe this isn't the right thing, then we would see a pushback against Cardone from within Scientology's ranks. Otherwise, um, you know, Cardone can flame out at any time due to criminal prosecution, right? I understand he's been investigated a few times. I don't really keep up on Cardone the same way other other channels do. So I can't speak to all the dirty details of all the different things the guy is involved in. I just know he's a pretty shady operator. So um so that's kind of what I can comment on about that. I hope that I hope that answer makes sense that you know I I don't see him as a challenger and I think that he will last for as long as uh, Miscavige and Cruz and, and the, the, the power players in Scientology allow him to. 
So, um, yeah, which I think could be forever as far as as far as he's concerned. All right, let's uh, let's carry on here. Uh, okay, back on up the line. Oh, here's an interesting question from Max Cyan. Who did LRH remember he was in past lives? I, Hubbard didn't talk about it a lot, but he did mention in a few lectures a few things. He mentioned, I think, being a race car driver in Markab. Um, on Markab, Markab is the Markab Confederacy, the collection of of planets and stars and all that that make up the the greater confederation that I think Earth is part of. Um, I think this is this and, and another system uh, or uh, a setup called the Espinol system. I, I think these two things are a little confusing as to which one is which. Um, anyway, Hubbard talked about how back in the day um, they had racetracks that were very, very complicated and people would flame out and die on them. And that that was a place where people would actually even uh, participate in to have the chance to die because bodies lasted so long that they wouldn't die otherwise. Uh, and Hubbard talked about being a, being this race car driver. The other thing he talked about was being, <clears throat> excuse me, um, a sailor or a prince or something. Um, I'm trying to remember, excuse me. I'm trying to remember, where does purple dye come from? The guys back around the Mediterranean uh, who would, Tyrian, Tyrian purple. <clears throat> this was um, Phoenician, that's it, that's what I was looking for, Phoenicians. Hubbard claimed to be a Phoenician prince of some kind at one point also. He was pretty specific about it. And he talked about sailing around in the Mediterranean, if I remember right. Um, I think this had something to do with the Mission into Time book and the, and the roaming around the Mediterranean looking for uh, buried gold or buried treasure. I think that came out of a story that he remembered from his past lives of being a, a Phoenician sailor or merchant or prince or something and um, having been connected with some some princess or something. And, and um, anyway, something like that. I remember him talking about a past life having to do with that. And, of course, um, there is the OT8 reference where Hubbard talks about being Lucifer, the light bringer. Uh, and that's kind of weird. I don't think he thinks he was Satan cast down by God. I don't think he's putting himself in that light. I think it's more of, I think it's a different interpretation, but, um, but he does talk about that. So that's, that's a thing. All right. Uh, let's see what else we've got here. Um, yes, I think I've done that now. <coughs> Excuse me, guys. Got something caught in my throat this morning. Um, let's see. Okay, let's go to the next question. 
Exxon, would you consider Anonymous to be a malignant cult, even though they don't have an identified leader or organization? Um, no, no, I wouldn't. Uh, I would not consider Anonymous a, a cult. Um, anonymous is a group. It's a it's an anonymous group of people. Uh, on it's an online activity, and um, and there is no focused centralized leadership around which to sort of you know, coagulate, right? So, uh, no, I would not think of Anonymous that way. I don't think they structure the same way as a destructive cult. There is not an us versus them. There's not necessarily evidence of of monotheistic sort of thinking, right? In other words, there's no, like, one unified thing that all of Anonymous is doing. I think they would be the first ones to tell you that, right? They are highly independent thinkers, um, at least my experience of them has been that. I'm no anonymous expert, but that's my that's my experience with them. I would have a very hard time uh, classifying anonymous as a as a cult. I don't. I, yeah, I don't, don't. I don't think it fits that model. All right. Uh, let's see what else we've got here. Um, oh yes. Okay. Going to ask me about movies. I'm definitely going to answer. TJ Feeney, um, interested in your take on the recent downturn in interest in Marvel movies. Do you think people are tired of the genre, or has the more woke themes and ideas in them turn fans away? I think it is all of the above. I think we are suffering from superhero fatigue after 20 years of straight up of of these Marvel movies, right? Almost twenty years now. Let's to, let's 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 go ahead and trace the origin back to Iron Man and go forward from there. Uh, what year was that Iron Man movie? Two thousand eight. Okay, so um, fifteen years then, I suppose we're talking about, and um, you know. You can you know you can only push a genre or a thing so long on the public before they start pushing back against it. And fifteen years is a good long run for a genre to dominate the box office. First off, there's just that statement. Second, um, so there is a fatigue that sets in, right? The other thing, though, is that the quality of the writing has changed. Phase four Marvel and the DCU, the DC universe, the Superman. Um, uh, Batman, Justice League, Flash, Wonder Woman, uh, part of this, right? Uh, that uh, that was run under Zack Snyder. And that, the vision for DC was wrong and flawed right from the beginning. The superheroes were dark, gritty, uh, you know, really, you know, hyper, not hyper-realistic, but more kind of grittier and darker of, uh, interpretation. And, and, and I've done movie reviews on this way back years ago where I broke down, you know, the, the philosophical problems with Zack Snyder's approach to interpreting Superman as an Ayn Rand type of figure, right? Or, you know, bringing in this kind of like really changing the basic nature of the characters didn't do them any favors. And, um, and, you know, having Batman kill people, having Superman kill people and be this dark, gritty guy making bad choices all the time, it was just not a good interpretation. We'll see, um, you know, what the, um, what the new guy does with that, the, the um, James Gunn. 
But I don't think, but I think he's already fighting an uphill battle because of the superhero fatigue that has been, that has already set in. People are kind of sick and tired of the genre at this point. Marvel, just phase four was just a total failure. I mean, they took, they, 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 they culminated with Endgame and the, and the whole uh, Thanos story arc. And then they really didn't have it set up very well as to what to do next. Right. And it was all phase four was very anticlimactic. And then they also changed the style of the writing where they thought cultural values and the culture wars needed to be commented on more than good storytelling. And when you take when you start making the message more important than the story in a movie, especially a genre like superhero movies, which are intended from the very beginning to be inspiring and, um, you know, boosting and all about good versus bad and the success of that, you know, the, the, the good is going to win. These are not difficult stories to tell, right? They're not hard, complicated stories. And you can put more depth into them if you want, and, and, and they should. And good characters, good actors, good story arcs are always appreciated with this. But, um, but when you start trying to inject too many cultural values and culture war issues and things that are hyper-specific to what's happening now, it loses its, its sort of eternal messaging, you know, and that's a problem. At least it's a problem for me. So um, I don't know. We could probably talk about this a lot more, but that's, that's my, my compact answer to the question. I'm not sure how – I'm not watching the comments, so I'm not sure if I'm even going way off the line here on what people want to hear from me. But, um, but yeah, I, I'm just – I'm pretty turned off on superhero movies at this point. I, I have been completely unimpressed with anything that, that Marvel has been putting out in the last few years. It has been really, really cheap. You know, it's been really crappy. Oh, and the other thing that happened. Oh, yeah, this is worth commenting on, though. The other thing that happened is the diversification, not of the content. I mean, the diverse, the, the platforms that that they decided to throw all the genre across streaming services. Right. So you have television shows, you have cartoons, you have um, YouTube shorts, you have or YouTube content you have. Um, and then you have the movies and then you have games. So you have it flooding every aspect of people's lives you can't go anywhere without being inundated with superhero stuff so it's not just in the theater it's everywhere it's all you know it's all over the streaming services and stuff too and i think disney has learned their lesson by this point that you can oversaturate this market very very quickly which is exactly what they did and and blow it you blew it you blew it you guys blew it you know they just they just screwed it the pooch on so many ways um, in so many ways on this that they have kind of deflated the whole genre. So there you go. Okay. Let's see what else we have here. Ah, okay. Any thoughts on the writer's actor strike? Yeah, I support them in their strike because I think that uh, creatives are at the bottom of the totem pole of of our entertainment industry, and I think that's awful. You know, writers have always been at the bottom of the totem pole in the movie industry, all the way back to the, you know, to the beginning. And um, actors, you know, for the most part, are given pretty short shrift, too. We have a small number of people who make an obscene amount of money as actors. Um, not necessary. Not necessary at all, right? We don't have to go there, either. But... 
the the day actors, the bit actors, your regular working actors are being paid pennies for the work that they do. And it's not right. It's not right that we have such an imbalance in the distribution of money in the entertainment industry or in our economy overall. And I have, big, I have pretty big problems with that, right? Actors should be paid. Writers should be paid. Creatives should be paid. Artists should be paid a living wage. They should be able to make good money doing what they do. And, um, and many, most of them do not. So, uh, and then with the digital age right now and the internet and AI and all of these very, very important questions. I mean, I couldn't believe it. There was a Black Mirror episode. Uh, this season's Black Mirror is quite good. At least the, this, the first episode was. The second one was, man, we haven't watched the rest yet. But the first episode was about a woman who suddenly finds herself being her life in real time, practically, like the next day, her life, her own personal life is being streamed on Netflix, right? And she's like, what the hell is this? And, uh, and Salma Hayek is playing her. Well, it turns out it's not actually Salma Hayek playing her. It's a digital representation of Selma playing her. And this is all, you know, totally above the boards and can be done because she signed away her rights to her own life in the terms of service to sign up for Netflix, right? They could use her digital likeness and, and her life and everything. And I thought, wow, what a crazy story. And then it comes up in the strike here that that's exactly one of the things the studios want to do is digitize people's likenesses for like 200 or 300 bucks and then use it forever so they can just digitally recreate you and have all the rights to that and you don't get anything. And that's not right. You know, and I couldn't believe that life was imitating art within weeks. I was like, what? This is a real thing? People really, they're really trying to do this, you know? And it's like, yeah, they really are. So uh, that blew me away. Um, so I, I, so that's why I support the strike, you know? And I'm, and, and the other thing, of course, is that the quality of, you know, what we've been uh, dished up lately in the last many years has, has been awful. I mean, let's be real, right? Our entertainment is a, it's, it's a disastrous. You know, there's a handful of amazing shows out there. Really, really amazing stuff. You know, The Wire, Breaking Bad, uh, Six Feet Under. You know, I'm talking like the quality shows. There's a, there's a, a small list of those shows. And we need a lot more of that and a lot less of the Kardashians and the endless bounds of reality TV nonsense that's cheap to make, cheap to turn around, and people just eat it up. And I don't understand why. I just don't. It really blows me away. But anyway, those are, my, those are some of my thoughts on that, since you asked. <laughs> okay, uh, let's see what else we got here. Um, oh, okay. These are great questions. I'm just going to keep going down the line here. Uh, Chris Shelton, what are your hobbies, interests uh, outside of Scientology and philosophy? Um, okay, I'll tell you, because I've got some, and I've really been having a lot of fun developing them. Um, it model making. I'm actually making not just, um, I, I spent a lot of years doing Lego modeling, and that's a lot of fun. I, I, so I got so much, I don't even have any, any um, uh, shelf space anymore in the house here. Um, but now I'm doing some uh, real model building, and that's kind of fun. And then also um, board games. Mel and I are loving board games these days. I mean, we're, we're, we've started playing this new one called Civilization uh, New Dawn, um, which is just 
an awesome board game. We have a lot of fun with it. There's another one we're learning called Sith or Scythe or Scythe, S-C-Y-T-H-E. Just got that one. And a whole bunch of other games. Anyway, you know, I've, I've been having a lot of fun with um, Ticket to Ride. <laughs> And reading. I'm really getting back into reading again, which I am so happy for, so happy about. It has been for many, many years, it's been very, very difficult for me to sit down and read a book. Um, It just has. It's been ADHD central for me, and it's been very, very hard. And so since I've been getting some um, attention paid to that particular condition... Uh, I have had some focus again and have been able to sit and, and for, you know, more than 10 minutes at a time do a thing. And, uh, and so I'm enjoying, uh, reading books again. And, uh, that's a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll just say all those things. And then yard work, of course. (laughs) All right. Oh yes. Cecil Rhodes. That's right. That's right. Hubbard claimed to be Cecil Rhodes. That's right. Until he realized he was gay and he stopped talking about it. That's right. Yeah, Hubbard had a thing about that. He thought he was going to go find uh, treasure down in uh, Africa um, from his Cecil Rhodes lifetime. I can't believe I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah, he nailed it, Toph. That's right. Okay, let's carry on here. Um, Okay, and this was a uh, super chat, I think. I want to thank... Someone for this. Let me go up the line here. Yes, Joe DeCeppo. Thank you for your super chat question. Here we go. What all, uh, With all these new channels popping up, what do you think are the chances, statistically or characteristically, of one being an OSA plant or data gathering operation? That's a good question. It's a legit question to ask in this space. Now, I am not suspect of any of these channels being OSA plants, okay? I don't have my finger on like, oh, this guy's OSA, right? I, that's personally, that's my take. Um, I think that, um, that there is a possibility that one or more channels that are out and about right now on YouTube could be OSA-influenced. In that, here's how I think OSA works. OSA works overtly and they work covertly. They work, on, they work on many fronts at the same time. At least when they're really on the ball, they do. And we've seen evidence of this over the decades of them doing overt actions and then covert actions. And sometimes the overt stuff is so outrageously out there and obvious that it's being done in order to distract from the covert stuff. So you don't see that part you only are aware of the obvious stuff and you go oh those goofy osa idiots so obvious so trolly well they want you to think that right they want you to think that they are being so obvious and so trolly so you won't notice the covert dudes right the agent provocateurs the saboteurs the guys who come in with with what we call sock accounts uh, from a from a sock puppet, right? They, they, it's a it's a it's an anonymous or it's a fake account that purports to be one person when in fact it's an OSA agent. And there are probably on YouTube numerous of these, many 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 of them that probably show up on different people's channels from time to time or swim around from channel to channel and try to covertly, you know, very quietly, very subtly introduce ideas 
or stir up people against one another by not being subtle at all, but being very much taking sides, right? You can either do this subtly by trying to like kind of throw little comments here and there that just kind of plant seeds, right? Or you can just have a sock account that is 100% for channel A, Ah, Channel A, man. Channel A, this guy knows what he's talking about. This is the best. Nobody does it better than him or her, right? Channel A rocks. Yeah, Channel A. Go Channel A, right? Now, Channel B, oh, that guy's a dork. That guy's an idiot. Those those girls don't know what they're talking about, right? Like, like whatever, wh- however this person is setting up to attack other channels, it, but but looks like they are supporting this side right and and rapidly against the other side and um you know these kind of things are not original to osa i mean i i I, this is this is obviously understood right like this has been going on for centuries you know agent provocateurs and saboteurs and you know uh, dead agents i mean you know you can go all the way back to art of war (laughs) and this is this is you know this is just spy craft this is just how to upend movements how to mess with things how to how to how to throw a monkey in the wrench so to speak and um and os has been doing this for years using the same tactics that are used across the boards when in doing this kind of of covert operation work so uh so is there a chance that you know with all the rise of the new channels that there's osa influence in some of those channels or could one of them even be an osa plant absolutely it's possible it's totally possible, but it's more probable that rather than the person running the channel being no supplant, they're just heavily OSA influenced, and often they don't even know it, right? I mean, I could have OSA people in the chat right now. How would I know? How would I know, right? I wouldn't. Um, a lot of the uh, accounts that um, that comment on our on our feed are anonymous or are unclear or we don't know who y'all are, right? So maybe somebody could be, you know, uh, an OSA person in there and, and again, doing that work. And then, of course, you get, and, and it's not just YouTube comments, and it, to get the whole thought across here, it's not just on YouTube in the comment section or in live streams that these people do their work. You have Facebook groups, you have Twitter, you have Reddit, all of these have Scientology communities, and all of them then, therefore, right, are susceptible to OSA coming along and planting some bombs or some landmines or working in DMs to, you know, start whispering campaigns against creators, right? Oh, Channel A, he's the best, but that Channel B guy, oh, man, I can't deal with that guy. And out come the messages, right, and the messages go around to different creators, riling them up against each other just by commenting to them about how supportive the person is, right? They can they can use that to rile up. I think you guys get where I'm going with all that. So that's, um, that's I think, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I think that's how that kind of works, right? It's all of the above. And this has been the work of uh, decades of dedicated OSA development, right? So they've learned a lot of things over the years. OSA has been at this since the 1990s, all the way back to the ARS 
you know, alt-religion Scientology groups on the message boards. So it's, they're not, you, you got to know one thing about OSA is that we all think about them as a bunch of, you know, I- idiot monkeys sometimes. And we need to be clear about the fact that they're not, right? They're not all idiot monkeys. Sometimes they act in re- really seriously stupid ways. Sometimes OSA just just shoots themselves in the foot like with a 50 caliber, right? It's amazing how bad some of the stuff they do is. But on the other hand, sometimes some of the stuff they pull off is absolutely amazing. Uh, and I don't mean amazing in a good way. I mean in an amazingly bad way. An amazing, like, like planting people in the lives of prominent Scientology critics in real life where your best friend or one of your business associates or something is actually working for OSA and reporting to them daily about you, right? Like, they've pulled that off. So, so they're not always wholly incompetent at what they do, and we need to appreciate that. Uh, because a lot of the conflict that I believe is happening right now, or that I believe is happening, that is happening, a lot of this conflict, you can guarantee, okay, whether it's caused by OSA or not, it will be riled up and reinforced by OSA. So when you see people publicly attacking other people in this community, they're doing OSA's job. That's what they're doing. Now, whether they're also venting their own opinions or ideas, fine. Go ahead. But just realize that when you do that, you're doing OSA's job. Kind of sucks, you know, but it is what it is. We have to always remember in this community, it is not paranoia to talk about OSA. They're real and they really are on the job. So that's always something to keep in mind when you see conflict between creators or between members of this community. And it's been going on for decades, and it ruins relationships, it ruins friendships, ruins them. And OSA loves it. They love it. It's high fives all around at OSA Int when they see us breaking up with each other and upset with each other. They love it. So, there you go. I'm trying today to give longer, more complete answers. I hope I'm succeeding at this. Um, I'm trying to trying to give a little bit more detail. So if I don't get to all the questions today, that's why. Um, okay, carry on here. How are we doing for time? Good. Okay. Um, <laughs> did they ever get the elevators working in Pack Big Blue? Not when I left, they didn't. There, were, there are two elevator shafts in the large um, angled building, the, the one with the Scientology sign, the big blue building with the Scientology sign on it. That's a birthing building. That's where people live. And there are two elevator shafts in that building, and only one of them worked the entire time I was there. And I don't know if they ever fixed it. it apparently, to fix the other elevator shaft would require a complete gutting and redo of it. I don't know what happened over there, but that's what I was told when I was in PAC is that that elevator was pretty permanently out of commission. Um, and I, I, yeah, I don't know. 
All right, carry on here. Um, oh, I think this is great. Vernon asks, uh, what do you think about Leah Remini finishing her second year at NYU in psychology? I am pleased as punch for Leah and her education. You guys know how I feel about education. I love education, and the fact that Leah is getting one is awesome. Awesome. I'm very, very happy for her, and I'm very happy that she is um, putting in the time and, um, and you know, exercising the discipline required to do that because I know how hard it is. It's, um, it's just hard. You know, it's hard work. It's hard work for anybody, but it's especially, you know, I think it's a little harder for, for some of us, uh, you know, in the, in the ex-cult world. All right, let's see, see what else we got here. Um, all right. Oh, these goofy things. Okay, so I have this question from Kendra, one of two. My address is in my mail. was going to send up my parents' house shortly after. How did they get my info? Oh, I... Okay, so Kendra Kearns asks, Hey, Chris, in 2013, I briefly dated a guy for a few weeks that ended up being a Scientologist. I think I was trying to recruit me. On one of our dates, we stopped by one of the org buildings... I never gave this guy my address, and somehow mail was getting sent to my parents' house shortly after. My question is, how did they get my info? Well, he probably looked you up. And then, or he looked your parents up, or he looked up any address that was likely your address or something and fed it in. And uh, somehow it looks like they found your parents' house. This, the Church of Scientology has access to LexisNexis databases, and they, um, I don't know if they have that at the org level. I know in the Sea Org call centers they have that, where they pay to get onto the databases where they can skip trace people's addresses and track them down. And, they, and they're, they're very, very busy at that. Uh, there's a whole line that they run to find people who have ever bought anything having to do with Scientology. And a book, and you know, you bought a book at a flea market 20 years ago, and they're going to keep your address, and they're going to keep updating your address and sending you mailings. That's the Scientology way. So for this guy who uh, you, you mentioned that you thought he was trying to recruit you, so he probably put you on the mailing list or tried to by looking you up by however he could. And that's probably what happened. And it's creepy as hell, isn't it? Ugh. But that's, that's what Scientologists do. All right, let's carry on here. Um, okay, get this question a lot. Uh, Anthony asks, say Miscavige is taken out of the picture. Is there one specific person in Scientology that is likeliest to take over? Guillaume Lecev, Ray Medoff. Well, it ain't either of them. Um, at this point, it's anybody's guess, okay? Um, uh, it's not going to be the old guard, that's for sure. They're too old. Um, if Miscavige disappeared tomorrow, then it would probably be um, the woman who is running things from uh, upper middle management, or it could be somebody in Miscavige's inner circle right now. It could be, I, I don't, I kind of don't want to name names because they're not going to be familiar to you guys anyway. Um, they're just you know, people who are holding these various positions in Scientology right now, but they're not public, publicly recognized known names. You know, if I said them to you, you wouldn't know who I was talking about. So I, you know, so I don't know. Um, I, I just don't know. We'll have to see. Get, 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 get asked that question a lot, and it's not clear. 
right? And of course, the whole reason why it's not clear is not because of our ignorance of, of the people, as much as it's our, it's our ignorance of how Miscavige has distributed his power. Who has access? How do they get access? How do you find out where the bank accounts are and who's running them and how do you get to them? Who are the lawyers? Who has access to them? Who are, who's in charge of all the corporate papers and paperwork? Who has access to that? Right? Those are the questions that need to be answered in, us for, in order for us to really predict who's taking over. And we don't know any of the answers to any of those questions. So that's why it's, uh, it's a little um, difficult to, uh, and even frustrating for some of us out here to, to try to pick this apart or understand or answer the question. is because we just don't have the data necessary to be able to answer it really is the problem. All right. So let's carry on here. <laughs> I'm going to answer this question. Um, I think it's a snarky comment, but I'm going to answer it as a question anyway because I, I do have an answer, Pete, to this question of why is everything critical with this guy? The reason why is because in Scientology, the word critical has been basically redefined to mean that if you are critical, if you find criticism, if you are complaining or fault-finding about something, that term, that definition of critical, then you have overts. You have committed overt acts, moral transgressions against the thing you are complaining or critical about. And that's the only definition of critical that really applies in Scientology. Critical thinking, therefore, is a bad thing in Scientology because it's it, critical thinking in Scientology means you're being critical, you're criticizing. And when I got out of Scientology and I learned that there's a whole nother use of that word critical that means you're diving into the details and you are using your analytical mind your 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 frontal lobes to to take things and analyze and dig them and and take them apart and understand them all the way down to the you know to as as far as you can right skepticism critical thinking let's take things apart let's really understand things this is something I am passionate about. I love critical thinking. I love analyzing things. I love the puzzle of life and taking things apart and trying to understand them. To me, that's, that's an essential aspect of, of life. And, and the, the fun of life is getting to be critical. And being critical is something I wasn't allowed to do for the first 42 years of my life. Because I was always told that if I was being critical, that somehow I was committing bad acts, that I was a sinner, in other words. Critical thinking in Scientology is a sin. And so I realized coming out of Scientology and learning about what critical thinking is, that it's actually the tool to undo Scientology and, and undo all the landmines that it plants into your mind. 
that you can undo it, that there is a path out of Scientology just as, just as there's a path in. And you can dig yourself out of it. And this, this is very powerful to me. This, 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 means, this, this meant and still means a lot to me. It's everything. Because it's, it was my path out of a life of servitude and slavery. And I don't use those words lightly. That was my life as a Sea Org member. I was basically a slave to a, a cult leader. And so that was my freedom. Critical thinking is my freedom. It's my ability to exercise my freedom of thought and belief. And that's why it's such an important word to me. And that's why you see it all over my channel. So there's your answer. Uh, okay. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. DM and TC holding hands, skipping through fields of wheat. <laughs> I love you guys. All right. Um, da, 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 da. Okay. Well, thank you. Good, 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 good. Um, yes, there's the Phoenician stuff. We're way back on the comments here. I'm going to try to move forward a little bit. Um, yes. Um, Xion asks, could I walk around in the Scientology Media Productions building on Sunset, or could I get a tour of Goldbase if I had your written invitation? Um, I believe Gold offers tours of the gold base um you can sign up for them and i think you can i think you can still do those i don't know if scientology media productions is offering tours right now to the public i i wouldn't be surprised either way yes or no i could you know i could see it either way but um but they do i know that they have offered tours of golden era productions if you want to go up there and and find out about that so i don't think you just show up at the gate and they let you in i think it's a signed up thing and they have to vet you and that kind of stuff so um and i have no idea what their process is for doing that but um but that's what i know about that okay um yeah um I wish I knew. Uh, Gregory asks here, do you think the Africa Advanced Org and orgs are treated differently? I have no clue how they can stand on their own. They cannot keep power on in a country with daily scheduled outages of up to 12 hours. Yeah, I don't know how African orgs deal with it. When I was on the RPF in Scientology, my twin was a woman from South Africa. She'd been raised in South Africa. She was a Sea Org member from South Africa. She'd been at Johannesburg, and she'd been at um, the management of Scientology in South Africa. And she had come up from uh, Rhodesia, from Zimbabwe. She'd been at that org. And she had stories that I just had never even conceived of struggles they had to deal with in Africa because I grew up in America. We never had, I, I've never, ever, ever not been able to go get a ream of paper at a local stationery store. I've always had that ability my entire life. 
in Africa, they don't, right? There are so many resources and so many things that were so difficult and such a struggle for them. And she was telling me all about it in the course of us doing the RPF program together. So I learned an awful lot about how things were down there. And it was really eye-opening for me as a Sea Org member to get such a reality adjustment on how different life could be in other parts of the world. I'd never, never been to Africa, never been outside the country, really. Uh, I didn't get out of the country until after I got out of the Sea Org. Um, so, and I've only been to Canada and Europe at this point. I've, I still haven't been to Africa. So it was, it was quite a rude awakening to find out that there are, that there are Scientology orgs where, you know, getting, getting a ream of paper for, this, for the telexes or for the statistics to print out or something was a real challenge. Trying to keep people from stealing stuff all the time was a real challenge. You had to keep an eye on everybody who walked in the building all the time because people were coming in and taking stuff. Uh, holding on to things, hiring new staff. I mean, there were so many issues in Africa that they had to deal with differently than how we dealt with them in the Western world. And it was really, it was really quite interesting. Um, so do I think that these orgs are treated differently? Yes, I know they are. I just don't know. The policies are still the policies, but I'll tell you one thing. Oh, I'll tell you one funny thing that came out of that was one of the ways that it's different is you have to talk to the orgs from management, from the management level. They had to communicate to the staff differently than they communicate to the staff in the other areas because the telexes and the communications were being intercepted by the government. And this was in Zimbabwe specifically. And so they were sending telexes uh, using standard Scientology lingo, but that sounds revolutionary. Like, you need to get to work, you need to get your quotas met, and you need to play the birthday game for blood. Right? I want to see stats out the roof. I want to see expansion. And I want to see you taking over your area. Right, so you use these terms for blood. Right, we're going to play the birthday game for blood, and you know, you we're going to have you take over your area. We want you in control of Johannesburg, or we want you in control of Rhodesia, or whatever. You know, the kind of language that they use in management of Scientology is very militaristic, you could say, and very rev has a revolutionary kind of flavor to it. Uh, Germany knows all about this, and. So they had to change how they wrote their telexes because the government was intercepting these communications and going, excuse me, what the fuck are you people doing? And there was some concern about Scientology there. And, you know, the last thing, given the fact that Hubbard was kicked out of that country years ago, that, you know, they had some concerns about Scientology's public image and image with the government, right? So I remember that story um, and how they had to change things because of that so you know stuff like that uh might be uh interesting all right let's let's carry on here i'm gonna have to, oh wow it's 10 30 i'm gonna have to go in a minute um okay let me go down and just see if there's anything else i should Oh, there's an interesting idea, R.R. R. Smith. Maybe I'll maybe I'll do that. 
I know you could not play the We Stand Tall video, but I'd love to see stills and hear who the people are and what happened to them. Have you done that? I have not. Um, but that would be a good idea. Uh, sort of that, um, that sort of like that Saturday Night Live parody of the We Stand Tall video. If you guys didn't see that, look it up. It's perfect. I mean, perfect. Um, but yeah, doing a real serious video about that or a breakdown video of that and where those people are, that might be kind of interesting. I don't know that I have all that data in my head, but I might need to collaborate with somebody on that. That would be, that would be cool. That'd be interesting. Um, okay. And then Anthony is throwing in a last minute super chat here. So let's go ahead and get to this one. Um, thoughts on Dr. Grande. Have you seen his channel? Yes, I have seen his channel. Yes, I do like his work. And, um, and I got to reach out to that guy and see if I can talk to him about some of the uh, characters, he, like L. Ron Hubbard, that he's taken apart on his channel. I think he does a decent job uh, at what he's doing, given you know, the nature of it. And, uh, and, I've, and I've enjoyed the videos I've seen uh, about that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And if you, uh, yeah, you have got to see that SNL parody on... Um, on the um, We Stand Tall thing. Let me see if I can find it real fast, and I will parody video. Um, Scientology. Yes, Neurotology. Here it is. The Neurotology video. Let me just uh, grab this um, link and throw it in the comment section for you guys here. It's a real treat. I mean, it's perfect. If you want, if you, and I think you can find it online, look up the We Stand Tall video, watch it, and then watch the SNL parody. Mwah! Perfect. All right, guys, I'm going to have to get going now. We've been at it for an hour. This has been a lot of fun. Yes, I do want to find, I do want to connect up with Dr. Romani as well. I like her a lot, and I would very much like to connect up with her. Um, okay, so, I don't know who Hank Borland is, although that name sounds super familiar to me, Anthony. All right, good. All right, let's go ahead and wrap up. Thank you very much for coming around today, guys. I love your viewership. I love your support. I'm glad that we could do this today. I hope that you all found uh, my answers, you know, somewhat interesting and entertaining, I hope. And uh, I hope you all support the channel and, uh, and the work here. And, and, of course, you know, uh, all the channels and all the work. We're all trying to, you know, the one thing we do all have in common, as I wrote on a post on this channel yesterday, was that we all have that shared trauma. And we all just want Scientology to go away. And that's a good thing. All right. So on that, I will end off. Bye, guys.